We are continuing our uh, series, uh, God's Story, Our Story, part 16, uh, by looking at uh, Genesis chapter 22, uh, verses 1 through 14. As we started this series back in October, we made... Uh, the, we, we made the argument that as we go through Genesis through Revelation, as we make our way and survey the scriptures, we made the argument and hopefully you're seeing we're making the case, I'm not making the case, the scripture is making the case for you every single week that all of the stories and all of the names and all of the characters and all of the themes and all of the things that maybe you read about in Sunday school class and never truly understood as a child or maybe even if you came to Christ later in your life that all the stories point to one story. Hopefully you're seeing that God every single week is revealing to us that everything that has happened from Genesis 1 even through this morning as we read Genesis 22 is pointing us and continuing to reveal to us God's unfolding plan of redemption from the foundation of the world. Uh, next week, some people have asked me what, you know, what are the chapters that we're going to be reading next week. Some people like to read ahead. We will be looking at Genesis chapter 25 and 27 as we start, spent the last four weeks looking at the life of Abraham in Genesis. Next few weeks, we'll be looking at the life of Jacob. But in Genesis 22, we, we see here finally, finally the, the favored son, the favored son of Abraham and Sarah, the one that had been promised. Uh, remember, not Ishmael. We talked about Ishmael a few weeks ago. He was not the favored, promised son. But finally, the promised son that would bring the blessing to the nations, that would fulfill the promises of God that God delivered to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Finally, that son has been born. His name is Isaac. The name Isaac means what? It means laughter. Because after all, this whole thing has been laughable, right? Two people, 100 years of age, a barren woman, Sarah, that through Abraham and Sarah, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So the whole thing has been laughable up until this point. So appropriately giving Isaac the name laughter here. And this son has been born, this miracle baby, the favored son of God has been born. Finally, after years of waiting on God, Abraham and Sarah turning 100 years of age, which means for their birthday, they imagine two people 100 years of age shopping around Target for diapers, right? The whole thing is laughable. And that's where we find Abraham and Sarah, 100 years of age, finally being given the son that had been promised. And then we read this, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. After these things, after all of the things that we have heard about Abraham in the last few weeks, after all of the things that Abraham has been called to do, after all of the things that Abraham has been tested with, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Here I am. Didn't ask, what do you want now? Didn't ask, oh my goodness, I've gone through so much already. 
here I am. This was the ancient way of not saying, hello, God. This was the ancient way of saying, I stand ready to do whatever you are about to ask me. You might want to find out what he's asking you to do before you say, here I am. But it shows his faith in God. Here I am. I stand ready. He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of the young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide himself for himself, the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they both, and they went both of them together. And when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord came to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Here I am. The first words uttered by Abraham as I said, after all of the testing, after all that Abraham has been called to do, all of the callings that God had placed in Abraham's life and had extended to Abraham, the word of the Lord coming to Abraham originally in Genesis chapter 12, leave your family and leave your land and leave your people and leave your culture and I will take you to a new land and a new and you will become a new nation and a new people and then the calling to 
to go out and to sacrifice the, the animals as we talked about last week and pass through the animals and, and enter into covenant with me. And then the calling to, to, take, to take his first son, Ishmael, that he had with Hagar and to send Hagar and Ishmael on their way. And you hear the, the word of the Lord coming to Abraham again. And if we're honest, we look at this and we go, enough. A person can only be beaten down so much. A person can only be asked to do so much. But in response to the word of the Lord coming to Abraham again, Abraham doesn't flinch. He says, here I am. I stand ready. And there are two remarkable things that we see in this latest calling of Abraham. We first see in this latest and greatest calling that God gives Abraham, this latest test and the greatest test that Abraham will ever face. We see two remarkable things. We see the dilemma of love and justice and then the provision of the Lord. First thing that we see is the dilemma of love and justice in this latest and greatest calling and test that God gives Abraham. In verses one through eight of this passage that we just read, this remarkable passage that shows the calling of God to Abraham, we see this dilemma. And here's the dilemma of love and justice. In verse two, God calls Abraham, it says, to offer up your son, your only son. The Hebrew there means your unique son, your favored son, or even your only begotten son. Sound familiar? For those that know the creed that the people of God that have been reciting for thousands of years, your one and only begotten son, the son that was begotten of the Father, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, that is the son that God is calling Abraham to offer up, your only son. Throughout this passage, the word son is used 10 times. Moses is trying to emphasize the reason he continues to share the language of God to Abraham, your son, your son, your son, your only son whom you love is to emphasize the gravity of what God was calling the son that had been promised. At this point, commentators tell us that Isaac more than likely is 10 to 15 years of age. For only a, a, boy, that, a boy that old could carry the wood himself up the mountain. So you're talking about all of the years that God had been promising Abraham the favored son. He finally has it. And then another decade has passed. And now God is coming to get again to Abraham and saying, that son, the favored son, the unique son, the only begotten son whom you love, offer him up. And so we read here in this passage, this idea of offering up your son as a what? As a burnt offering. What's a burnt offering? 
A burnt offering was used by the people of God in the Old Testament as a way of paying the debt of sin. And so this was used in the context of worship. And because God taught his people this, that you have a sin, that you have a debt because of your sin that you cannot pay for yourself. And so in the Old Testament, first in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple, they would have a burnt offering. And the the smoke going up into the heavens was symbolic of the sin of the people of God being paid for, that the debt was satisfied. And so when God calls Abraham to offer up your son as a burnt offering, God is coming to Abraham and saying something so audacious, but saying something so true about humanity, that Abraham, you and your family have a debt that you cannot pay, and therefore you need to offer up a burnt offering to God. You see, it is in this calling of God to Abraham that God is revealing to himself, to Abraham, as the God of justice that God is a just God, and this is the dilemma. Here is the dilemma, that God is presenting himself to Abraham and ultimately to us as the God of justice, that God is holy, that God is perfect, and his people are imperfect. His people are not holy. His people are imperfect and sinful, and therefore there needs to be an offering made. There needs to be satisfaction for their sin. And he calls Abraham to pay his debt. But here's where the dilemma comes in. Last week we were told in Genesis 15 that God is the God of promise, that God is the God of redemption, that remember God walked through the pieces and said, by my blood will I keep my covenant with you. And so on the one hand, God is calling Abraham to offer up a burnt offering because he is the God of justice. But on the other hand, Abraham cannot get it out of his mind that God is also the God of promise, that God is the God of love, that God is the God of redemption. And so we have here in Genesis 22 a dilemma because it seems like God is contradicting himself God, are you the God of justice that requires burnt offering, or are you the God that will deliver on his promise? You see, the command contradicts the promise, and here is the dilemma of love and justice. Here's the command, offer up your son to pay for your sin. But here's the promise. You've been given a son so that all the nations of the world will be blessed. So are you a God of justice? Or are you a God of love? And I can only imagine that Abraham, as he's contemplating this call, as he's contemplating this request of God, is asking in his mind, how can a holy God also be loving and gracious? How can a God that requires justice and the payment of debt for my sin also deliver on his promise. Can a just and holy God be truly gracious and loving to his people? But regardless of the dilemma, 
Genesis 22, verse 3 through 6, show a man who answers the call of God. And what does it say? In verse 3, 4, 5, and 6, we see a man who cuts the wood. The Hebrew tells us that he cuts just enough wood for his son. And he loads up with his servants and with Isaac, and they travel to the site. They travel to the place that God has called them, the Mount Moriah. And they set off, it says, on the third day. And Abraham lays the wood that would be used seemingly for the sacrifice of his son, lays the wood on his only begotten son. Sound familiar? And he leads the servants behind. And Isaac says, we're going up to worship. Can you imagine the treacherous climb up that mountain? Laying the wood that would be used to sacrifice his only begotten son. And they walk up that mountain together with the wood on the back of his son. But then in verse 7, what does it say? Isaac cries out to his father and says, I've got the wood, I've got everything needed. The only thing missing is the lamb. You see, it was the lamb that would be used to sacrifice. It would be the lamb that would be used in the burnt offering. It would be the lamb that the people of God anticipated that would be put on the wood as a burnt offering to satisfy the debt of sin. And Isaac is appropriately asking, where is the lamb? And in verse eight, Abraham looks at his son and says, God will provide the lamb. And there we see the tension, the wood, his justice. God is holy. But Abraham, you can sense the conflict. But God said, God said he would deliver on the promise. God said there would be a lamb. So we have the wood for the burnt offering over here and we have God reminding Abraham there will be a lamb that will be provided. And we see Abraham conflicted as he's walking up that mountain, Mount Moriah, going, God, how can you be both just and be loving? How can you be holy and also deliver on your promise? This is the horrible dilemma that Abraham is faced with. On the one hand, a debt has to be paid. But on the other hand, God has promised that he will provide. And that is the ultimate dilemma for Abraham. And this morning, the ultimate dilemma for you and for me. But that is not how the story ends. The story does not end with this tension. The story does not end with Abraham in this hopeless state. The story does not end with confusion or leaving us hanging, wondering how in the world is there hope for anyone in light of the holiness and the justice of God? Because we not only see a dilemma, but in the midst of the dilemma, we see the provision. 
We see the provision of the Lord. The second thing that we see in this passage is we see the provision of the Lord in verses 9 through 14. Because as, as Isaac is climbing up onto that wood and Abraham takes the knife, imagine this, and is getting ready to drop the knife on his only begotten son, that a messenger of the Lord, an angel comes to Abraham and says, stop, stop. Now I know, now I know that you have faith that justifies yourself. Now I know that you fear me and do not fear man. And what happens in verse 13, Abraham looks and caught in the thicket by his horns is ram. And Abraham takes the ram and takes Isaac, his only begotten son, off the wood and he sacrifices the ram instead of his son. Isaac's life is spared and in order for God to both satisfy his justice but also deliver on his promise to provide for Abraham and all those that would come through the line of Abraham, God delivers on his promise through a ram. God pays the price of sin for Abraham and for Sarah and for all who would believe, but at the same time delivers on his promise. But wait a second, Rob. Abraham said God would provide a lamb. He provides a ram. You see, that day on the top of Mount Moriah, God provided a ram for Isaac but left the door open for a lamb to eventually come. You see what God is doing there is remarkable. He provides a ram for Isaac, but he leaves the door open for a lamb to eventually come. So that at the end, what does Abraham say? This place will be called the Lord will provide. Do you notice the future tense? Because on that day, God did not provide the perfect lamb. But God leaves open the door so that all those that would follow after Abraham and believe in God, that one day, God will provide the perfect lamb. Yes, that day, he provided a ram for Isaac, but one day, he will provide the perfect lamb of God to finally once and for all pay the debt that could not be paid for those that place their faith and trust in him. You see what happens is one day a man by the name of John the Baptist will look up centuries later and will say, behold, the lamb, the lamb that was promised to Abraham, the lamb that Abraham looked to by faith, John the Baptist looks up and says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, the only thing that got Abraham up that mountain that day is the only thing that would get you and I up that mountain. 
The only thing that moved Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son was that he looked forward by faith to that one, to that perfect spotless lamb without blemish that would come to sacrifice and lay down his life for him. Therefore, this place will be called, not the Lord has provided, but one day I believe by faith that the Lord will provide. And it is on that mountain, the mountain of Mount Moriah, that we are told in Second Chronicles that in the midst of that mountain range, there is a hill called Calvary. And centuries later, in the mountain range of Moriah, the only begotten son, not of Abraham, but the only begotten son of God the Father would come. And he would go into the mountain range of Moriah and he would climb the hill of Calvary and on his back would be the wood. The wood that would eventually lead to his demise. And as the knife of death came crashing upon the lamb, as the knife of death came crashing down upon the only begotten Son of God, and as the Lamb cried out for help, God turned his face away and did not answer, so that whoever trusts in that Lamb would have the confidence that God the Father would never turn their face from them. Edmund Clowney said it best, when the ultimate beloved child of God cried, the father paid the price in his silence. You see, when Abraham got ready to walk up that mountain, Abraham looked forward by faith in the Lamb of God who would come to take away the sins of the world. You know, I believe that when Abraham went up that mountain with Isaac, I don't know if Abraham understood all the particulars. I don't know if Abraham understood how this whole thing would shake out, but I'll tell you this, I know one thing, Abraham was confident that I will go up that mountain, but I will come down with my son Isaac. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, listen to what the author said. Hebrews 11, verse 19, I think we have it for you. He considered that God, this is Abraham, was able even to raise him from the dead, Isaac, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, when Abraham went up that mountain, he was confident, I don't know how this is going to happen, God. I don't know how you're going to satisfy both your holiness and your love, but I'll guarantee this. Abraham, we are told through Hebrews eleven nineteen that I will come back with my son. And I want to ask you this morning, what would it be like if you not only technically believed in the God of resurrection, if, not, if you not only technically believe these things to be true, but what would it look like in your life today if you actually functioned this way? That you were able to climb your Mount Moriah today 
and say, there's death on that mountain, but I'm coming back with life. There is despair on top of that mountain, but I'm coming down with hope. There is utter loss on top of that mountain, but I am coming down with provision. Because I believe in a God who not only, as we talked about last week, makes his promises, but delivers and guarantees on it. We are told that Abraham saw that day and he rejoiced. Could you imagine if we were people like Abraham that not only technically believed this to be true, but functionally believed it? How would that change the way you and I lived every single day? You see, in Abraham being willing to give up Isaac, he was giving up what the world defined as security and significance. But the only reason he was able to do that by faith is he looked forward by faith to a greater Isaac that would bring him perfect significance and complete security forever. It's a great story of a small village mostly made up of farmers and weeks and weeks pass by with no rain. And so the local pastor understanding the dilemma of his congregation made up of mostly farmers called a Sunday evening prayer meeting that we are going to gather together to pray for rain. And so they all come in and the pastor walks from the back to the front and the place is packed and people are talking and they're socializing and enjoying the fellowship. And as he begins the prayer meeting, he looks out amongst the crowd and he spots a little girl. There is a little girl in the crowd and she's holding an umbrella. That church that day came ready to pray. That little girl came expecting rain. My greatest fear for you and for me is that we come to church and we fellowship we socialize, and if we can keep our attention long enough, listen to the sermon, and it doesn't mean a thing. And I am praying that God would stir in this congregation people that just don't come to church, but people that come expecting it to rain. There are people in this church that I know maybe have not yet come to that decision where they are ready to follow Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I am so glad that you are here. And maybe this morning is, this mor is the morning, maybe this morning is the day where God is stirring in you for the first time and saying, come and follow me. I will give you rest. Maybe there are some that have been walking for Jesus with you for years, but you've given up. You, you've lost the, the remarkable nature, the, the wonder and the beauty of God's amazing grace. And maybe God is stirring within you this morning for the first time in a long time 
and saying, I'm tired of just coming to church, but I'm ready. I'm ready to believe again that God will do the impossible, that God will bring hope in the midst of despair and life out of death. In Romans 8.32, we read about this God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You and I have a debt too great to pay. You and I have a burden too heavy to carry. Would you look to Jesus, the one who says, I can satisfy it completely. I can carry it fully. And if the Lord is stirring in your heart this morning, I pray that you would answer the call and you would stop just coming to church, but be a person who expects the rain.